Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We're grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. We are in the last, the last, oh no, nearly the last, the second to last Sunday of November. How long have we been in quarantine? How long? March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. <laughs> Nine months since we've been able to worship together. That's freaking crazy. I hope you guys are hanging in there, um, staying safe. We are on the last, the last Sunday of the Book of Acts. Thank you guys for making it past all this time. It's pretty incredible that we've gone through all 28 chapters. I never thought it would end. Uh, but as with everything, changing circumstances, the whole country coming and burning down to the ground from multiple things, but one thing that doesn't change is the book of Acts. So we are finishing up the book of Acts. If you guys can open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 28, 28, 28. Verses 17 through 31. Oh, just kidding. 16 through 31. Just going to read it one straight through. I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, if you guys have a hard time following the ESV, I highly recommend reading from the NRSV or the NIV. Um, both are very acceptable translations, but I will be reading from the ESV. We are reading God's word. We can't stand together, but I pray that we would be holding all reverence for God's word. Please stop eating if you're eating, if you're sleeping or waking up from your slumber. Now is the time to give God due reverence. This is the word of the Lord. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. 
the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying? so grateful for you. We're so grateful for this Sunday. Abba, you are real. You are with us. You are in this space. Abba, we belong to you. We are yours. You are our God. Abba, we pray it has been a while since we have gathered together. A lot of us are tired of Zoom and tired of online service. Abba, I pray that you would breathe renewal into the hearts of your people right now. Wherever they are tuning in, Jesus, I pray for hunger. I pray for curiosity. I pray for renewal. I pray for trust in you and your word. Abba, it is hard Almost nine months, almost nine months into this, it is hard to sometimes see how you are real. Abba, I pray that your love, that the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ, that you know us fully and love us fully, that you are a living and active God. I pray, God, that these things would really descend upon the hearts of your people. Hide us behind your cross so that only you are magnified and glorified. We lift everything up to you. We give you glory. Hide me behind your cross. It is not my word, Jesus, but it is yours. May nothing that comes from my mouth be of my own self. But may it be of you. We love you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are speaking today on the last, the last, not even whole chapter, but the last part of the book of Acts. Okay? Up till this point, we have heard... A story that Paul has gone through that is greater than the Odyssey, that is greater than Homer, greater than an epic poem or an epic tale, almost mythical, a shipwreck, sailors throwing things overboard, an indigenous people, an island, 
Jesus, what the heck is going on? That's just some crazy language that has happened. And that leads us into this sermon. Today's title is At the End of the Day. That's the title, At the End of the Day. The main idea is the gospel is for everyone, friend and enemy. And it is the fundamental call of the Christian, even in challenges of personal situations. I'm going to say that one more time. The gospel is for everyone, friend and enemy, and is the fundamental call of the Christian, even in challenges of personal situations. Okay, so we're just going to jump right into the text. But before we jump right into the text, I want you to think about this. What is your calling? What is your calling? So Paul, after being heralded a hero on this crazy odyssey, he lands finally in Rome. And he is still, I know we all forget, he's healed people, rattlesnake bit him, nothing happened to him. Everybody expected him to drop down dead. He ain't dropped down dead. And then he healing other people and everybody's like, he is a god. And like, he's just been carried up on people's shoulders all the way to the, all the way to Rome. But lest we forget, Paul is still a prisoner of the Roman Empire. Okay, so Paul is still imprisoned, but interestingly enough, he is allowed to stay by himself with the soldier. What does that mean? In the original language, what that is talking about is actually an apartment. It's like a private lodging. So Paul goes from being in prison to the Jews, and the Jews like coming back and forth with him. Him being, you know, jailed unnecessarily for two years while nobody can prove his guilt. And then almost gets shipwrecked, but he gets to Rome and he legitimately stays by himself in a lodging with a soldier. So he's allowed to stay in a private lodging. Uh, to, in this today's day and age, it, it can be the equivalent of a rented apartment with a soldier. And he is bound by the, by the wrist with a chain. So he is in a chain and he's connected to the soldier at all times so that this light um, imprisonment, so that Paul doesn't run away from this light imprisonment. Some of you might think, oh, it's because Paul is a big deal. Maybe because Paul is a citizen. It actually has nothing to do with that. It's because why why is he in a private lodging? Why isn't he in a prison? Because Rome has a very, very elaborate established prison. I mean, it is the capital. Why, why, why is Paul not in prison? It's not because of his citizenship. It's because of the weakness of his case. Because the um, the claims against him are so unfounded with evidence that they have no good reason to put him in jail. But they can't let go of him because he has appealed to Caesar. So he's in chains in a rented apartment. He's in a, he is in a rented apartment connected to a centurion by a chain. I think about parole when I think about this, but parole is like, actually, I don't want to say parole is for people who've done it. That's not necessarily true of our system. Um, but it's kind of like that, you know, he's kind of on this disciplinary action, but it's very light. The key thing about this is that Paul can take visitors. So Paul calls together the leaders of the Jews to explain his case again. The first thing he says is that he's innocent. 
in the sense that he has done nothing against the Jewish people or the empire or their customs. And then he reports that the Roman officials also acknowledge their innocence. If you think backwards, Agrippa, Bernice, and Festus are all like, why the heck is this guy in jail? <laughs> what did he do? He didn't do nothing, right? He didn't do nothing. So like the Roman officials are like, he's innocent and they've already said that and he reports that. So he asserts his innocence, he reports it, and then he explains how actually he was forced to appeal to the emperor not because he did anything wrong, but because his opponents in Jerusalem continued to level charges against him. And the word continued is a, is a, it's the, the verb almost has this persistency to it. Like they persistently, continuously press charges against him. Namely, that asserting against his innocence that he's done nothing against the Jews. Then he then he emphasizes in his proposition, he emphasizes that the case against him is connected with the hope of Israel. What he's saying here, obviously we've heard all this time, Paul has one legal strategy. Aside from being a person of integrity, Paul has one one legal strategy, and it's to bring up the resurrection. The resurrection is something that Pharisees believe and the Sadducees do not. Paul says, I believe in Jesus Christ because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. This not only has nothing to do with the Roman Empire, but it gives him an opportunity to share the gospel. So he continues to assert, the reason why I am in chains is because of my hope for, of Israel, his proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus. So that's his legal strategy. His legal strategy is to talk about the resurrection. That's his legal strategy. That both incites his opponents and it also brings, it emphasizes the fact that Paul is innocent by Roman standards. Okay? So those are the things that are going on. The legal strategy, he's, he, he is explaining all of this and that's all the nice content that I have to explain to you. But I, I wanna, I wanna hone in on a, a couple of things. The fact that number one, the first thing Paul does in Rome is he calls the local leaders of the Jews. I mean, at this point, he's already been encouraged by brothers who are in the area. He's already been in confidence has already been instilled into him by his community. But the first thing he does in Rome is he appeals to Jewish leaders. And you notice, notice something very interesting about the first the first word of his statement, he says, Adelphoi, brothers. Now, why would he address Jews from Rome as brothers? Paul has not abandoned his home people. Paul has not abandoned the people of his heritage and his original community. He's still trying with them. At this point, the Jews have said, after Paul explains all of this, the Jews have said, hey, look, we haven't gotten anything about you. 
from the envoys in Jerusalem. This is most likely because the envoys in Jerusalem probably had smarter captains and probably didn't make it to Rome. Paul, if you remember, did not have a centurion and a captain that was smart enough and they wrecked their ship. Um, but it's most likely that the envoys stopped traveling and that's why it hadn't gotten to Rome. So he said, they say, you know, we haven't heard anything. But we have heard about Christianity and how it's given trouble to the Jews. And we want to hear you out. So Paul, number one, he says Adelphoi. He hasn't given up on his people and he addresses them as family. He doesn't just address the church as Adelphoi, which is brothers and sisters, but he also addresses the Jews as Adelphoi. And that speaks to what Paul is getting at. That speaks to that speaks to a passion that Paul has after being like we have a hard time going back to our home churches, our home communities, our families when we have been hurt by words. But Paul has been imprisoned by them. Paul has almost been stoned by them. Paul has gone from place to place to place to place. And the major people that have persecuted him are the Jews. He has every right to be bitter and he has every right to be hurt. But he's in Rome right now because they ain't let him go. And so he had to appeal to Caesar even though the Romans are like, you are innocent. And still he gets to Rome and calls them Adelphoi. He's still trying to make peace with them. And that's something, even if that's not, that's obviously not the point of my sermon. But I hope that that, that hits somewhere in our hearts about, about Paul's level of love. It, it challenges me. Because, you know, I get burnt, when I get burned by people, it's hard for me to, even if I let go of the hurt that they've given me, it's hard for me to let go of the anxiety. I have a hard time, like, coming before them. I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but I've got a lot of anxiety. And I've suffered from depression in the past. Um, so I, I have a lot of anxiety about people. And so when people hurt me, the first thing I do is retreat. But Paul has not done that. And I want you guys to question why. Why has Paul not done that? Because he's a good person? Spoiler, it's for the gospel, but I will elaborate on that later. Paul has not abandoned his people. And so the Jews say, you know, we haven't heard anything, but we have heard of Christianity. Interestingly enough, we hear the Roman Jewish witness about how Christianity has spread everywhere, even beyond Paul. This is Paul's first time in Rome as a Christian, and yet they've already heard about Jesus Christ. So that's, that's interesting. We already see this witness. We already see, they, we already see them testifying to how it's everywhere now. So Paul invites them. They agree to go. They set a date for Paul. They come in larger numbers to his lodging. Pause for a second. His house was big enough to take a large crowd. This man is a prisoner, but his rental apartment is big enough to hold a crowd of Jews. You know, I don't know. You can have, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But that's what Luke says. And Luke is very meticulous with his details. You know, so that's, that's just, we won't, you know, he, he invites them. They come to his house in larger numbers. That's like considerably larger numbers. And he can take them all. And he does three things from morning till night. Morning till night. 
Man's is probably older than me. I cannot preach from morning till night. I cannot. They say that 45 minutes, I've learned in preaching class that 45 minutes of preaching on Sunday service actually exerts as much energy as an eight-hour workday. It gives, it, you use, you expend as much energy as a, as a nine to five desk job. 45, he, morning to, morning to night. Morning to night, okay? He does three things. He expounds, or he explains, he witnesses, and he tries to convince or persuade. Luke has repeatedly used these verbs to describe the process of the proclamation of the good news. First thing, the message of Jesus needs to be explained because neither the significance of a crucified and risen Messiah nor the influx of uncircumcised Gentiles and the people of God was evident in the Jewish tradition. It needed to be explained because the Jews are not going to be able to comprehend it on first glance. On first listen, they're not going to be they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are Gentiles in this space? Why did why is he the Messiah? It's all a lot, so it needs to be explained. Two, the proclamation of Jesus as the risen Savior is supported by the eyewitness testimony of Paul who encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. So not only is he expounding what he knows about the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's also pouring his life out saying, this is what I've encountered about Jesus. I can testify to the fact that these these points are true. And he corroborates his witness on top of that. And then lastly, on top of doing both of these things, on top of explaining and pouring himself out, he then tries to convince them with arguments from scripture and from testimony. Because the people who listened to the explanation of the gospel had to be persuaded concerning the truth of Jesus' significance as Israel's Messiah and Savior. So it's not only that Paul just explained the gospel, it's not only that Paul poured out his testimony, but then on top of that, he had to convince them. And you see here three different stages of witness. First, you explain the gospel. Then you add your witness. And then you engage in critical thinking and conversation. Most likely they were asking things like, why did the bad thing happen to Jesus then? Why is God good? All of these fundamental questions that Paul had to probably explain more and more. And you see this interesting thing like, you see this interesting situation where Paul makes peace with people. And proves his friendship. Y'all think about that for a second. Say there are a group of people. I don't know. I don't know your lives. And I don't know your stories. But think about the group of people that have hurt you the most in church. Or hurt you the most in general in your school. If you've been bullied before. Honest. Honestly, not just as a Christian, but as a person, I have to say, sometimes Christians are the nastiest people around. The grace of Jesus Christ gives us free reign, apparently, you know? Um, but think about the people that have hurt you. And imagine what Paul is doing. If you put yourself in his shoes, right? Calling them brothers and sisters. A term you use for family. Even though they're the reason you are in chains. 
nearly died a bunch of times from Jews in different places. You invite them into your home. Your home is packed with these people that are against you. And you spend all day explaining the gospel, pouring out the facts of your life, and then talking to them and convincing them about the risen Lord. Imagine that. Can you? I don't know. It's low-key unfathomable for me. You know what I mean? Like, even the fact that I have made peace with a lot of the people that have hurt me, that is, it was a big feat on my end. It took a lot of owning up. took a lot of, you know? It took a lot of, it took a lot of big energy on my end. Um, and love upon receiving Jesus and spiritual maturity. But this, this is a whole other level of love. And he makes peace with the reason why he's in chains, with the people that are the reason why he's in chains, and he proves his friendship. It's like, have you ever tried to talk to people and have an intervention with people that have turned on you? Say like your friend group has turned on you and you get to have this moment when you're all talking about it together. You're like, look, hear me. Like, this is who I am. Like, have you forgotten our friendship? And just, you know, making peace with people who have hurt you. And it's hard. But Paul is doing that on a whole other level. So what's the response? What's the response of the Jews? Paul spends all day explaining the gospel. He spends all day doing all of this. And what's the response? It's divided. Some people were convinced. They says they were convinced, not by Paul, but the wording of it in and of itself explains that the person who is doing the active agency is God. So although Paul is the one convincing, it is God to change hearts. So some people, God's heart, you know, God was changing their hearts, but other people, they were completely shut off. And all of them left after Paul's reference to Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, which says, go to this people and say, you will indeed listen, but never understand. And you will indeed look, but never see. For the mind of this people has become dull and their ears are hard of hearing. And they have closed their eyes so that they might not see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their mind and turn and I would heal them. Paul refers to this to say, Man, you Jews don't get it. It's true what Isaiah said. But let me tell you, the Gentiles will listen. We break that down a little. The Jewish people have minds, cardia. I want to, I want to pause for a second and do like a brief thing. Cardia, what does that sound like? Cardia. Is there a word in today's day and age that sounds like that? Cardio, right? Cardiologists, right? Cardia, supposed to be the heart. But they use this word cardia to talk about the mind. So you want, you know when it says like the feelings are deceitful, who can understand in, in, in Jeremiah where it says, you know, people say like, there are, there are these various, I just needed to point this out for a brief second. When people, when it talks about, you know, trust in the Lord with all your mind, trust in, when it says, you know, you know, our, our feelings, our thoughts are deceitful, who can understand? It's not talking about our, like, 
people use that to invalidate other people's feelings a lot. And I just want to say, I just want to say briefly that the word mind is cardia here. Because at the time they believed that the mind was here. Like the, your essence is, is suhe. And that's, that's a whole different thing. But your, your mind, the centerpiece of your mind was in the heart. So I just, I just want to point that out. Um, if there's any place in scripture that you felt like it said, oh, the heart is deceitful and whatnot, and you started to be like, oh, I can't trust my feelings. I just got to go to God. Yes, you got to go to God, but don't invalidate yourself. I just wanted to point that out briefly. Don't invalidate yourself. So the Jewish people, they have minds. It says your mind, you will indeed never understand. You will, for the mind of these people have become dull. The, the Jewish people have cardia that has become dull. Right. So the minds have become dull to the reality of God's word for whatever reason. I want you to think about if your mind is dull right now. Is that you? I don't know. I was I feel like with quarantine there's just, it's just spiritually I feel a little foggy. I don't know if y'all can relate to that. But something about this circumstance where the world has shut down and the elections have gone nuts and human rights have exploded, something about our day and age right now, I feel very foggy spiritually. Have you become dull? Number two, they have ears that are hard of hearing. They hear it, but they don't understand. They might hear the words, but they don't let it get to them. Maybe because they've been dulled. They have eyes, but they have closed. They see, but they do not perceive. AKA they are hostile to the word of God. And this, this heart posture leads the Jews to not turn to God, but keep him at a, at a distance and not submit to his will. I don't know where y'all are at. But this heart posture of that spiritual fog might lead us often to hear, but not understand. And see, but not actually perceive. And what that means, it comes from that heart posture where we are dulled, where we are closed to the word of God. And what does that look like in our lives? That we keep him at a distance. It's like, I know I have a relationship with God and I know he's real and I am Christian, but I'm keeping him at a distance right now. And I know this is what God's word says, but I'm having a hard time following it. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. This complacency with that is, that is cemented with distance. The subtle lack of submission that is cemented with a distance from God that starts with the dullness of the heart. And so when we look at scripture and we look at the hearts of the Israelites and we look at the hearts of the Jews, we got to understand where we are in danger of being. At this point, we are seasoned Christians. We are sophisticated sinners. So we got to understand we are not in the place of the Gentiles now. As American Christians, we might be at the heart posture of the Jews. Morning till night, Paul expounds the scriptures, testifies with his life, convinces them. And yet what's going on? Their hearts are foggy, 
dulled. It's like a blade that is dulled out. Can't cut anything with it. You can't use it for its purpose. When we are dulled to the word of God, and when we are dulled to scripture, we are like blades that have become dulled. We can no longer be used for our intended purpose, and we cannot cut a damn thing. And all of them, people who are convinced and not convinced, they leave after Paul refers to Isaiah. And says the Gentiles will listen. Here Paul refers to the kingdom of God as the Christian message. And this, to a Jewish audience, that is talking about, it's redeeming the Davidic kingdom. See, the Israel, the Israelites, the, Jew, Jew, the Jews, they believe themselves to be of the kingdom of David, this covenantal people. And what Paul is doing here by saying that this is the kingdom of God, this is the Christian, the Christian message is the new kingdom of God. Paul is taking, Paul is saying, this is the new kingdom from David to Jesus Christ. Will you believe? He's explaining it in ways that they can understand. He's making it suitable for their context. Heck, he's one of them. Pharisees of Pharisees, Jew of Jews from the Benjaminites. And they still don't get it. Now, I want you all to think about this for a second. Up till now, we've been focusing in on how God, how Paul loves his people, right? And I asked you, why do you think Paul does this? You think about this for a second. Paul is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's one of the best learned people out there. He is a natural born Roman citizen. He was at the top of the social strata in Jerusalem, which is the, the heart of the Jewish people. If there was anyone who was well equipped enough to share the gospel to the Jews, it would be Paul. Why? Because Paul has eyewitnessed he has gone blind. He went blind because Jesus met him physically. The glory of God blinded him. Legitimately. And there are eyewitnesses to Paul's blindness because he was on the way to Damascus with his Jewish subordinates. If there is anyone that the Jews should be able to listen to, it is Paul. And what this speaks to is the love of God for Jews. Because let's face it, can a human being really love somebody like that? So is it not God's love for his people that he has appointed a messenger like Paul? Now y'all might wonder, was that not spiteful of Paul though? Like low key, if you think about it, you know, you read that last bit and it's like, Paul looks like he's saying, y'all aren't listening to nothing. Y'all ain't hearing anything. And, you know, being spiteful, he's like, well, but the Gentiles will listen. And you might think it sounds a little sassy, right? But it ain't about sass. It's not about, you know, you know, it's not about like 
coming all up in your face and throwing hands and be like, all right, I don't got time for you. You know, you can, you be in your lane and I'm going to be in my lane and don't cross my lane because then you're going to cross me. I'm going to cross you up. Right. It ain't about that. Right. It's not a, it's not an argumentative thing. What it is at its core, if you read the context and you know, when, when the Jews probably heard it, they probably heard it that way. A lot of them probably left even if they were convinced because it was fighting words. But you know what? If you look at the context of Isaiah, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 is right after God calls Isaiah, whom shall go forth? Isaiah says, send me. And then he says, go to a people who have eyes but do not see and ears but do not hear me. This is a direct reference to when God calls a prophet to speak the word of God to a people who are unwilling to hear. Why? Why does God call a prophet to a people who are unwilling to hear? Why would God do that? Because he loves them. Why would God do that? Is it not like talking to a wall? Why would God do that? Because he loves them. And you see Paul's exasperation here. But what's going on here is he's pleading them to listen. You know when you're like, you know when your parents like don't hear you out to the point where you're like screaming and crying, but they still don't get it. And at the core, when you look at it, it might look like a full-blown fight where people are mad at each other. But when you add, when you think back on, on that fight, what are you feeling? What's the major emotion that you're feeling? Is it anger? No, often it's hurt. And not being heard, not being seen, not being understood. And you see, God is breaking for his people. God loves you so much. God loves his chosen ones so much. Jesus was a Jew. He was a marginalized Jew. He was a Palestinian Jew. He did not side. He could have been born into any house, but he was born in Nazareth. That's modern day in Palestine. Second class citizen in that area, right? They're, the Jews, they don't treat Palestinians right. But he was born into the line of David leads to Jesus. Why? Because God loves them. Because God still loves them. This happens the meeting is over. It says that for two more years in his imprisonment to Rome, he is well, he welcomes all who comes in, comes to him. It, it's later said like, this isn't actually the space where Paul dies. Like Paul actually ends up going, getting to Spain and he proclaims the gospel. Um, Paul does end up dying in Rome later on in his life. He gets beheaded. Um, and a lot of theologians have a lot to say about how Acts ends because it acts, acts ends kind of abruptly. But it says that he proclaimed the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. I want to zero in on this, this 
this boldness and hindrance for a second. This all boldness, it's a specific word where you pass over, you skip over nothing. The reason why it's important that Paul preaches with all boldness while he's still shackled to a centurion in Rome and welcomes everyone is because he's had to, he would have to have gotten over the shame and the insult of his state to preach with boldness. You know, when you've done something, what happens when people, when people go to jail, when people have done something wrong, what do you do? Do you blast that on the streets? No. Oftentimes people don't even know you're going to trial. Right? But Paul has to overcome his shame and the insult of being in chains to preach the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance because God is with him. And nothing stands in the way of the gospel. So Paul continues to preach for two more years. There's no saying of what happens to these Jewish leaders after all leaves when their hearts and their heart posture is revealed. Paul has tried to make peace with them, spends all day explaining, witnessing, and trying to persuade to them making peace with a people that has excommunicated him. Some are convinced, some are not, but they all leave upon that passage. He continues to preach the gospel with all boldness, without hindrance. It's a confusing passage to listen to, even in in preaching. There's a lot going on here. There's there's a a lot going on here. There's this element of how Paul has not abandoned the people who have put him in jail. Shows them an undying love. Still refers to them as family. There's this added element of his pouring out himself, every aspect of himself, to share with them the gospel. How he prioritizes that over his situation, over his vocation. He prioritizes this. And their reaction, not only to him sharing and witnessing and convincing them of the gospel, but to a revelation through Paul of where they are. They all leave. But the gospel, it continues to be preached through Paul, who has this shameless, unashamed attitude. How can we apply this into our lives today? How can we actually apply this into our, into us? And how, how, how does that reflect on our hearts? The first thing to think about is what I was expounding upon before. This Isaiah 6 heart. I have no idea why I am here in New England. If I think, if I think back on my life, I have literally no idea why I am here in New England. But one thing I can tell you about the Korean church of New England, especially upon serving it, oh my God, serving it, right? Is that 
the soil is dry and frozen. Um, I don't mean to say this, but pastors, I, I, I probably have preached it before, not preached about, not preached it, but mentioned it in a sermon before. Um, pastors commonly refer to seminary as cemetery. Um, and then this place in particular, New England is, uh, jokingly referred to as a spiritual graveyard. Um, pastors don't like to stay here because it's, it's, you're asking for it basically. So pastors are quick, not to overgeneralize, but because not all pastors have this heart, but you know, if you, the more you, you know, hang around and network, you realize like uh, that, that's kind of the, the theme. Only like the most passionate people come here. Uh, even then it's hard for them to last out here. Um, I don't mean to say that about our church in particular. I think, I, I praise God for all all of what our church has seen, but I mean, everybody knows how North Boston was when I came in in 2017. Um, and that's not because North Boston is bad. I, I think I, I don't really know. I have no I, I have no idea why New England is the way that it is when it comes to Christianity. Um, and I have no I have no idea. I have no idea why I'm here. <laughs> I've lit- literally no idea why I'm here. <laughs> I'm here for a long time. Like I've been here. I'm going to be here. I'm not going to distinguish how long, but I'm I'm here for a good good while. But if you ask me why, I have no idea why. And I think all of these elements and these themes are very the themes of Isaiah 6 is very relevant to our context right now, especially in quarantine. I mean, Boston is one of the most unchurched cities in the country um, or the world. I'm not really too sure which of them it is. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the world. Um, it, that's, just, that's just our context. And I'm not saying it personally, but I think there can be personal application there. I'm not saying that you guys are are that, but I think it is really important to question whether or not your hearts are dull to the gospel. Where are you in quarantine right now? How are you doing spiritually? How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you actually doing? I don't know. I don't know how y'all are doing. I'm not God. Just like how even though Paul is, you know, expounding and witnessing and convincing, it's not Paul to change people's hearts. It's it's the Lord. I'm not God. God knows I don't. But how are how are you doing? Ah, but there hasn't been a rise in a long time. You know, we haven't been able to worship in person in a long time. You know, we're all looking, we're all, we're all, me included, we're all looking forward to the day we can worship in person again. But how are you doing? I love you guys. And I believe in you guys. And I care for you guys. And I honor our congregation dearly with all of my heart. So I'm not going to say anymore. 
But how, how are you doing? When we're talking about this fog, this listening but not understanding, this hearing but not perceiving, the distance, the complacency with God, the understanding of what God is asking for, the understanding of your relationship with God with the lack of submission. How are you doing? Do you relate? Hey, if you do, join my side, you know? We all are foggy, including me, and I'm working on that too. We can work on that together. But the first step is to acknowledge where we're at. That's the first thing that we can apply. Does this, is this, is this heart posture relevant to us? The second thing that we can apply, nothing is as fundamental to the Christian life as much as the gospel. You have to understand, Paul is a Jewish Christian. Paul is a Roman Christian. Why does Paul preach to Jews? Why does Paul preach to Jews? Why does Paul preach to Jews? Paul preaches to Jews not just because he's a Jew, but because God loves the Jews. Why are you in a Korean church? Hey, our parent generation's answer is because we're Korean. But our answer needs to be because we're Christian. What is your primary identification? What is the point of reconciling your racial and ethnic identity if you have not reconciled yourself to your religious identity with God? What is the point of gaining citizenship in the United States of America if you cannot deal with your citizenship in the kingdom of God? What is the point? Where are your identification priorities? I mean, let's just think logically. What lasts longer? Yo, like, I, I was born in America, but like, I'm about to dip, you know? <laughs> like, what lasts longer? <laughs> your time in America or your time in the... You gotta think. It does not even take radical faith. It just takes an eternal perspective and some common sense. What is your priority? Christianity comes first. We are a part of the church so that the kingdom may be furthered, not just because we are Korean. I mean, it's great. You might ask, like, well, Jane, then why are you Korean American church pastor? Because I love my people. I do. I could have. I probably would have fit in a whole lot better if I was pastoral staff in a church in Boston that's multi-ethnic and younger generation. It would probably been a much easier time for me. But I truly believe that God loves our church. And not just Korean Americans. I truly believe that God uses different churches and different cultures to bring people to God. 
We are a church not because we are Korean American. We are a church because we are Christian. We see that more and more in our congregation. We see gospel-driven transformation not just happening in the borders of our, of our relationships becoming expanded, but even the ethnic makeup of our congregation being expanded. Why? Because our foundation is not our racial identity. It is our Christian one. And we as, we as second generations, we deal, whether or not we are Korean American or not, we deal with this ethnic identity crisis. And that's particularly prevalent in, in immigrant, immigrant congregations, right? And we see this, 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 this tension, and we seek to work that out. But my question is, what's the point if you work that out and you live, reconcile to your racial and ethnic identity for 50 years? What's going to happen to the next 5,000 years of your life? What is your priority? And I, I we, we talk about this a lot in, in seminary, you know, are racial makeup churches, are they okay? Or... You know, should every church turn to multiculturalism? Obviously, our our congregation is without borders right now. Um, but it's okay to love your people, and it's okay to love whether or not you are Korean. It's okay to love your people, love love the identity that God has given you. But they can't, that cannot take precedence over your Christian identity. Getting to know yourself does not matter as much as reconciling yourself to the gospel and reconciling where you stand with the Lord. It's hard to hear, but we need to hear it. Another thing to want to to think about is that God is in the center of why we are the way that we are. Every single one of your experiences has led you to this point to be what? A witness. I have never in all my life encountered what I'm encountering these days as a pastor, where God literally uses every single thing I have ever learned in ministry. Even the random sound production class I took in college because it fulfilled a requirement and my friend Danny told me to take it with him because he was alone. Literally not a single thing is wasted. Seven years in Hangarakyo. Seven years? Eight years. Eight years. All y'all dropped out of Korean school your Saturday mornings because your parents were kind enough to be like listening to you when you said nah. I cried. I wailed. I wept. I pulled a whole drama in front of my grandma. She did not butt. She did not bat an eyelash. I stayed in Korean school for eight years. Got a freaking translation award. And that, 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 like once I got the award, my parents were like, okay, fine. We'll let you go. Oh, you finally got an award with the Korean Embassy. Okay, we'll let you go. And so from 5 to 13, I was stuck in Korean school. Never thought I would have to translate everything, anything ever again. Thought the next time this will come in handy is when I need to kiss up to my boyfriend's parents. And here I am. (laughs) 
things in a month than I have ever in my entire life for the church. Things that just gave me pain, so much misery. My Saturday mornings were just filled with so much misery. And here I am. God uses everything in your life for good. Everything in your life. Anything that you've studied. Have you studied a random thing and that you've gone, God is taking you away from that? God's going to use that. Amen. <laughs> you've experienced something elsewhere in your life. You moved here. You haven't touched that since. Like, I don't even know. A random sport. God's going to use that. Amen. You think... You think you're not going to have to touch something ever again? God's going to bring that back, amen. You know, every single part of Paul's life, even what he's born with, that random Roman citizenship he didn't even think he needed, is not wasted. So it is with your life. we got to understand these things that are a part of identity that make up who we are. That is God's. That is God's in you. And reconciling your Christian identity first is working out your identity, what God has allowed you to experience in your life with God. Have you experienced excruciating pain in the body of Christ? God is going to reconcile that and use it. Have you experienced brokenness in your family and has that been redeemed? God is going to use it. Have you been in trials that have been more painful for you to understand? God is going to use that. Have you been marginalized? God is going to use that in you. Our commission and our faith is first. Our circumstances are second. Every part of your life, God uses for glory. Even if it were, if it weren't for the sh- shipwreck, the unexpected storm in Paul's life, Paul would not be in Rome. God even used the shipwreck. What happens as a result of the depraved world, God will use for good in your life. And Paul being a Jew, Paul being imprisoned, takes a second seat to the commission of the gospel. What kind of situations are you living in right now? How is your family doing? How are you doing with your work? How are you doing in your vocation? God will use you. Are you willing to let him? Or are you going to continue to keep him at that distance? That has only grown since quarantine. Are you willing to reconcile not just your identity, but your circumstances to God and submit to the primary call you have as a Christian? And let God handle the rest. Are you, are you willing? Paul preaches with all boldness. He overcomes the shame and insult of his bonds. You have nothing to be ashamed of. But not just so that you can feel good. We 
sing, I stand here on it. We, we sing about how God loves us and frees us. That's not just so you can feel good. That's so you could be a witness, y'all. There is a pragmatic, practical reason for freedom as well. It's not just, just so that you could dance and prance upon the meadows and the valleys and just, no. It's not just so that you could feel good. You have a calling. And hey, the last point is that God makes good on his promises. Has he told you he's going to take you there? Even if it's all around you, even if it doesn't seem like it, even if your circumstances doesn't seem like God is in control, even if it doesn't seem like God is with you, even if you feel like you can't trust him, even if you don't see a light at the other end of the tunnel, even if you're having a really hard time and you don't know how to get out of this rut, you don't know how you started here. Even if your family is having a really hard time making ends meet right now, y'all don't know how you're going to make it. I'm not saying that God is about prosperity, but God makes good on his promises. Praise him before the breakthrough. Praise him if the even if the breakthrough never comes. You know why? Because God loves you. And he will go through unfathomable lengths so that you can listen to him and hear him and look at him again. He's going to use all parts of your life for him, for God, for the glory of God. Which we enjoy forever. It's not just that God only cares about himself. God is a good God. That's why he cares for us. Trust in God. There's something in your life that God has promised that you feel God speaking into, but you don't see any way for it to happen. Trust in God. Are you focusing on everything else in your life other than God? Look to God today. He is here begging calling maybe even it sounds exasperated pleading acts ends on this note from beginning to end it is thick but the one thing we must understand is that that is the fundamentals of our heart and it ends with this And I end this series with this invitation to you. Where is your heart? And will you pursue your eternal identity, joy, salvation, freedom with God today? Are you willing to let the scales fall from your eyes even as you listen from your rooms are you actually willing and you know what even if you're not willing right now God's not gonna stop calling for you can we take this time to pray
How are we doing? How are y'all doing? Some of y'all I have seen last week. Some of y'all I have not seen in six months. How are y'all doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? Let's take this time to pray to God. Ask him for a greater desire. For some of us, we might need a greater desire. Even as maybe, maybe for some of us, when, when I was... When, when the sermon was going on and God was speaking into your heart, you're like, yes, Lord. But even now, as we bow our heads to pray, maybe that is leaving you. Maybe what we need is a greater hunger. Let's ask God for a greater hunger this morning. Maybe some of us need to be comforted. Because the tumultuousness of our situation, of our circumstances, of our lives... Maybe the presence of God is coming to comfort us. I am still here. I have not left. Maybe all of us might need to be challenged about our priorities. Of our identity, of what we care about. God's like, I'm right here. Even your family. Even your marriages, they are not going to last as long as your relationship with God. I'm not telling you to not prioritize your marriage, not prioritize your relationships, not prioritize your friendships, not prioritize your families. But I'm saying the one relationship that lasts into eternity is your relationship with God. Everything is the van drive to the banquet. What are you doing? Why are you so focused on the van? Let's pray. Let's pray to God, asking for him to be with us, lifting our convictions to the Lord. Whatever God's speaking on your heart, let's pray. From wherever you are listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.